in our home are videos that promote the very thing that we tell them not to do. And we allow them to watch it and listen to it. We fuss at them about the language they use. But then we get angry and we cuss and use vulgar words ourselves. We tell them to be honest. Then we steal from work because after all, the boss doesn't need it and he doesn't care. We insist they go to church. And then when we go home from church, we criticize the preacher, the music director, and everything that they saw and heard. We tell them to respect authority. And then we trash the president, condemn the pastor, criticize our boss, and mock the police, and condemn the school teacher. Folks, we're sending mixed signals. We're sending mixed signals. And David's children were confused growing up. Here's a daddy on one side who walks with the Lord, and here's a daddy on the other side who seems to walk with the devil. Which one is the real one? And maybe our children look at us and say the same thing. Which mommy is the real mommy? Which daddy's the real daddy? Which granddaddy or grandmama's the real one? I'm so confused because they say one thing and they do another. David did not practice what he preached. Violation of parenting principle number one. I heard the story about a dad who got that one o'clock in the morning phone call. It was from a police officer who informed him that his daughter, his daughter who had went to the high school prom, his daughter who had been out gallivanting late at night after the prom, was in a car accident. And she was dead. Not the exact news you'd like to receive at one o'clock in the morning. The dad raced to the scene of the accident in time to see his daughter being placed on a gurney, a sheet over her head, slid into the ambulance to be taken to the morgue. The dad inquired of the police officer who was there having investigated the wreck, and the officer said, We have reason to believe that alcohol was involved. We found bottles of of whiskey in the vehicle. Well, the dad became outraged. Who in the world would give my daughter alcohol? She's obviously not old enough. And he went on a, a, a rampage. He pitched a tantrum. The next day he got up and he went to all the stores. He went to all the the liquor stores. He went to every place that sold alcohol. And he wanted to know, did you sell her alcohol? He had a picture of her. And none of them said they did. In anger, he went home that next evening. 
Frustrated, he couldn't find out who did this. And he went to his cabinet where he kept his liquor. And he opened it up. And he noticed that there was no liquor in his cabinet. But there was a note. Daddy, going to the prom, want to have a good time, have borrowed your liquor. I'll give it back to you later. Signed, his daughter. Who killed his daughter? He did. Principle number two. David violated the principle of practice what you preach. He also violated the principle that there's no substitute for your time. You know, we went through a a battle some years ago in the church about whether you're supposed to spend quality time with your children or quantity time. And it kind of went back and forth. Some people said, well, you just need to spend a lot of time with them. It doesn't matter what kind of time it is. Just spend time with them. And then the other side says, well, unless it's quality time, it really doesn't matter. So it became quality versus quantity. And, you know, like a tennis match, the ball kept going back and forth. Well, David didn't spend either with his children. David, the dad, never had time for his kids. As Harry Shapin saying, he was always busy doing something else. And listen, what he was doing wasn't bad. It was good. But it was not the best thing. David had time to fight battles. He had time to build palaces. He had time to attend royal functions. He had time to write songs. He had time to travel abroad. He had time to find wives and marry them. He had time to counsel other people. David had time for everything he wanted to do. Gets that? He wanted to do. But David never had time for his own children. You see, he had no clue what was going on in their lives. He never knew that Amnon, his second son, had a problem with pornography and lust. He never knew that Tamer, after she was raped, was fragile and broken, traumatized, and she needed a daddy's love. He never saw it. He never saw the hatred in Absalom toward his own brother. And how Absalom was already in his mind planning how he would kill his own brother for what he did. David never saw any of that. You know why he never saw it? Because he was never around to see it. He never had the time to listen to his children. To hold his children. To understand what was going on in their minds and hearts at any given time. You say, wait a minute, pastor, didn't he put food on the table? Yes, he did. Didn't he put clothes on their back? Yes, he did. 
Didn't he put a roof over their head? Yes, he did. Didn't he give them a means of transportation? Yes, he did. Didn't he give them an education? Yes, he did. Didn't he give them all the nice things of life? Yes, he did. But what they wanted more than anything else, ladies and gentlemen, he never gave them, and that was himself. I'm convinced that children and grandchildren don't care about what we give them in the way of toys. What they want is us. And David never found the time to give of himself to his own children. He never had a clue what was going on in their life. And this frustrated them and aggravated them to no end. His sons were resentful and his daughters were insecure. Because he never spent no time with them. Principle number three that David violated. He did not practice what he preached. He did not understand that there is no substitute for time. There is no substitute for yourself. Thirdly, he violated the principle of spare the rod and spoil the child. You see, David never set any boundaries on his children. There was never no limits. There was never no parameters. There were never no curfews. David's children did what they wanted to do. They did what pleased them. And they never had to pay for the consequences of their behavior. To put it in common vernacular, David's children were spoiled brats. Amnon raped his sister. No consequences. Absalom murdered his brother. No consequences. Absalom tried to overthrow David's kingdom. No consequences. David protected his children from the consequences of their wrong, their foolishness, and their wickedness. I'm sure his wives did the best that they could. I'm sure their teachers the police officers, the priests, the generals of that day did the best that they could. But David always, David always protected his children from the consequences of their wrong. He covered up for them. He made excuses for them. He let them do what they wanted to do. It was never their fault. It was always somebody else's fault. Do you know we have jails full of people today who have grown up with no parental supervision? They've never been told no. They do what they want to do, and when they get caught, parents and grandparents run to the judge, run to the police, run to the school teacher, put our finger up in their face and tell them they're wrong. And we wonder why our little angels are demons. And one day we'll visit them behind bars, or one day we'll visit them at the gravesite. James Dobson tells the story of a little boy that was 10 years old that was an absolute terror. I mean, he was a terror with a capital T. And anytime he had a, an appointment with his pediatrician, the pediatrician would shudder. I mean, this boy was terrible. 
Nobody as bad as him. And one day the pediatrician examined this little tyrant. And he noticed that he had some bad teeth and they needed to get fixed. But the pediatrician didn't know what to do. He's not a dentist and he couldn't recommend him to any dentist. Because if he did, that dentist would be so hot and mad at him, he'd kill him. But the pediatrician finally decided, I've got to do something. So he said, I'll send him to the, to the oldest dentist I know. A man who's mature, a man who's been around the block a while, a man who has patience. I'll send this little terror, this little ten-year-old demon to him. And that little boy walked in that dentist's office. He looked at that dentist and he said, you're not doing nothing to me. You put your hand on me and I'll take my clothes off. The dentist said, oh, really? Get up in the chair. The boy said, you make me get up in that chair, I'll take my clothes off. He said, you go right ahead. So that little boy, he reached down, he took his shoes off, he took his socks off, he took his shirt off, he took his pants off, and he said, I ain't doing it. The dentist said, you'll get up in that chair. He said, you make me do it, I'll take my clothes off, I'll take them all off. The dentist said, take him off and get in the chair. That little boy took his underwear off. He's butt naked now. And the dentist said, get in the chair. He stuck him in that chair. He fixed his teeth. And after he did the procedure, the little boy said, where's my clothes? The dentist said, you can get them tomorrow. (laughs) Took him out in the hallway. Gave him to his mama. And there he is with nothing on. Right there in the waiting room. And everybody's snickering at him. And his mother, they, the nurse said, I, I don't understand it all, man. Just come back tomorrow and you get his clothes. Well, the lady come back the next day. And she said to the dentist, she said, I don't know what you did. But thank you. He's been threatening me with taking his clothes off for years. He has has intimidated me. I've never told him no because I was so afraid that he would do it. And you let him do it. And he was shamed and he was embarrassed and he was humiliated. And he was sorry. Thank you. You know, there comes a time, ladies and gentlemen, you just got to stand up and say no. And David never could do that. He never, never, never learned discipline of his children. And then the last principle David violated, he never learned. He never practiced what he preached. He never learned there's no substitute for time. He never learned that if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And he never learned. And maybe this was the worst lesson he never learned. Love covers a multitude of errors. I wish I could tell you I'm a perfect parent or grandparent. I'm not. I wish I could point you to somebody that is, but there's none. Parenting and grandparenting is often learned trial and error. It's an education and experience that's kind of progressive. What you did with the first one, you don't do with the second. What you did with the second, you don't do with the third. You kind of learn as you go. 
Y'all didn't know that, did you? <laughs> you will one day. But you know, no matter how good or bad you are at it, if you will always mix what you say and do with love, it covers a multitude of mistakes. Now, I did a lot of research on David in preparing this message. And you know something? In everything that I've read about him from the Bible and commentaries and opinions and everything else, I've never found where David was a hands-on father. David seemed to be very aloof. He wasn't the kind of dad who ever really said anything much. He wasn't the kind of dad who ever really got involved much as we've talked about. He wasn't the kind of dad who could say, I love you, with any kind of ease. He wasn't a hugger. He wasn't a kisser. He was a man's man who just kind of stood back and never showed affection to his children. Now listen to me. He loved his children. There's no doubt in my mind that David loved his children. But David never knew how to say, I love you. He never knew how to show, I love you. He didn't know how to embrace physically, I love you. He was hands off. And you know something that's tragic? Because our children need our touch. They need a handshake. They need a hug. They need a kiss on the cheek. They need their hair ruffled. They need a bear hug every now and then. They need touch. There's a reason why daddies wrestle with boys. It's a bonding. It's a touching. There's a reason why dads should... Be affectionate to their daughters. It builds their self-esteem. If daddy doesn't show any interest in me, why should any other boy? If daddy won't show any interest in me as I am, then I must change myself in order to get a boy's attention. If I'm not attractive enough for daddy, then I'm going to have to do something else to be attractive for another boy. Do you see, dads, what that does to a girl's psyche? David never could show affection as a father to his children. David failed at parenting. And I think if David could come back from heaven and speak to us, he'd say, learn from me. Practice what you preach. Don't substitute anything for spending time, quantity and quality time, with your children. Give them discipline. They want discipline. They crave discipline. They don't want to run wild. Give them discipline. Don't spare the rod and ruin the child. And love them. Love them as they are. Even when they disappoint you, love them. Even when they get you frustrated, love them. And show that love with your words. Show that love with your touch. Show that love with your gifts. Love them. 
In closing, four things that you and I can do very quickly to be better parents. Number one, be fair. Many of us have multiple children. Many of us have multiple grandchildren. Be fair to your children and grandchildren. Don't show prejudice. Don't have bias. Everybody is the same. You may not always treat them the same because children are different. And their needs are different. But you're fair to them all. What you will do for one, you will do likewise or similar for the other. Again, it's not a matter of being equal. It's a matter of treating all fairly. And not showing bias or prejudice to one over the other. Be fair. Secondly, be firm. Set the parameters for your expectations and enforce them. Set the parameters for your expectations. State what they are. And then enforce them when they're violated. If you do that, they will respect you. And if they respect you, they will listen to you. And if they listen to you, they will follow you. If you do not do that, they will not respect you. Therefore, they will not listen to you. Therefore, they will not follow you. I don't care if my children like me. I've never cared if they like me. I quite frankly don't even care if they love me. But I do want them to respect me. Because I want them when daddy speaks to listen. And to follow me to heaven. But you know I have found... And maybe you found as well that if your children respect you, they will love you. Children crave discipline. Even children who run wild are yearning for somebody to put some fences up. And give them structure. Children function under structure and discipline. So be fair. Be firm. Have fun. Now our children are not to be our friends. And we're not to be their friends. But our relationship with them should be one where there's laughter. They should like to be around you. And you should like to be around them. There should be a lot of picking. There should be a lot of joking. There should be a lot of laughing. When your children come over. Your grandchildren come over. Are you the warden? Are you the judge? Are you the enforcer? Are you Clint Eastwood? No. Have fun with them. You ought to watch my wife and Alyssa, our oldest granddaughter. It's comical to watch them. They sing, they dance, they play. And when I come home, I do too. We try to make our house, and I know you hopefully try to make your house a fun place to be. I want, I want our children to always feel like they can come back home and we're going to have fun. They're not going to come home and be condemned. They're not going to come home and get beat up. They're not going to come home and be fussed at and scolded. When they come home, it is going to be fun.
That doesn't mean that we won't discuss things. It doesn't mean there won't be disagreements at times. But it does mean that it's going to, our home is going to be a place of laughter, a place of fun, a place of joy, a place where Jesus is present and welcomed. Be fair. Be firm. Have fun. And then lastly, be faithful. What you start, finish. Don't, don't say something and then not do it. Be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to your family. What you say, do. And do it today, do it tomorrow, do it next week, do it next month, and do it next year. Because what's right never changes. Don't send mixed signals. Just be faithful. Those four little things right there can dynamically change things in your home. If you'll just do it. In closing, some of you are saying, I failed miserably. I've lost my children. I've lost my grandchildren. Listen, don't you sit there and say, woe is me. That's not the purpose of this message. It's not to make you feel guilty and walk out of here saying, I'm a loser like David. Listen, you can change things right now. There's a God in heaven, the last time I checked, who's a God of grace and mercy. He's a God who can forgive bad parenting, bad grandparenting. He's a God who can give us a new beginning and a new fresh start. He's a God who can help you patch up relationships that maybe need to be patched up. He's a God who can help you do the things that you need to do now that you never did before because you didn't know or you didn't care. He's a God who can miraculously change things. It's never too late to start all over again. And that's my challenge. Wherever you're at, think it through. Make the changes and carry on. And trust that God will take care of the rest. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.